All personnel, please report to the quarantine zone. This is not a test. A new episode of Presbyterians in Quarantine Drinking Coffee is about to begin. Welcome to another episode of Presbyterians in Quarantine Drinking Coffee. I am not your moderator, Mark Mernan. I am Andrew Jacobson. Mark Mernan is out of town, so today it is just Wes Lauver and myself, and we are going to dig into the topic of the love and goodness of God. And so we're continuing our time in looking at the attributes of God, and we come to those attributes which probably actually get the most attention, the the most positive, but yet still often misunderstood attributes of God. So let's let's take some stabs at definitions. So so Wes, when we talk about the goodness of God, we say God is good. What what are some of the things what do we mean by that? So I think well actually um I'm kinda I know we're this is sort of maybe something we might get into a little bit more later on, but we we have these labels, the incommunicable and the communicable attributes of God. And so when we talk about the goodness of God, what we're talking about is a communicable attribute. Um, and it's communicable in the sense that it, we can derive goodness. But but it, that's exactly what it is, is that it, it's derived from who God is. And we talked about this a little bit when we talked about the holiness of God. You said this. Um, and you brought up how any holiness that we share that is communicable is derived in so much as it, it comes from who God is. Mm-hmm. And it's really the same when we talk about the love of God and mm-hmm. the goodness of God, because we we have no concept of what love is and what good is outside of the person of God. Exactly. And, um, and, and, and it's just like you said, these get so much attention. Everyone wants to talk about the love of God, but it really is a really something that is misunderstood, and that is that we mistake goodness and love with just sort of like politeness. Mm. And you can be polite for selfish reasons, right? Like I can be polite to everyone around me, and I can be nice to everyone around me because it benefits me, mm-hmm. because I want people to like me. There's all different kinds of reasons that I can be polite or that I would want to be polite or kind. And so we have to def- be careful that when we talk about goodness and we talk about love, we're defining them from Scripture. Yeah, exactly. So. Uh, I, mean, I think, too, we, we mistakenly think that there is this thing out there called love or there is this thing out there called goodness mm-hmm. to which God subscribes to, and he's just better at it than everyone else. When in reality, love and goodness is something that flows mm-hmm. out of God. It's, it's part of his innate character and nature. And there's not something separate from God which tells him how he needs to behave yeah. and how he needs to love. Like, like in yeah. fact, we'll, we'll get into it. The Bible says very explicitly, God is love. Mm-hmm. Yep, and there's no indefinite articles, right? Definite article. Mm-hmm. So that's just going back to how we're defining love. God is love. Love is defined as God. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and I think when you when you think of goodness, God is good, is that means that when God acts, and, and however he acts, he is, uh, that action is defined as good. Mm. Uh, yeah, absolutely. And so, you know, God's goodness is his, uh, his I guess generally speaking, his, his being, um, you know, his, his benefiting and blessing all creation, and especially his people to, yeah. to some degree, or another. Yeah, absolutely. 
And I think when we're talking about uh, the goodness of God, the word, when we talk about the immutability of God, that God cannot change. And so to, and there's this, well, not in a sense, it's true that God cannot do anything that is not good. Mm -hmm. And God cannot act in a way that is unloving. unloving. Mm -hmm. And this is something we really need to grasp and we really need to wrestle with. Because when we talk about a sinner uh, incurring the wrath of God, that's not God acting in an unloving way, because that is perfectly just, and the only way we can see it as unloving is if we misconstrue it and we mistakenly define goodness or love in something that is that we've conceived in our minds that has nothing to do with who God is. Yeah, I say out of all the attributes we've talked about, these two attributes, love and goodness, which is, there's so much overlap, which is why we're putting them together. There are so many ways that they have been distorted. Because mm-hmm. in, in many ways, we don't just take this this concept of there's love and goodness out there, and God subscribes to it, and we should do it, and mm-hmm. he just does it better than us. But we take love and goodness, and we define it in a way that we think is best and most proper and would most benefit mm-hmm. us. And then we hold God to our standard definition of love and goodness. And goodness is... God doing things to you know for me and to me that uh, that are beneficial, mm-hmm. and love is when when God uh, does what's best for me according to what I define as what's best yeah. for me. Yeah. What are, What are some of the let's Let's talk first just a second about maybe some of the ways that we see people uh, defining good in a way that it shouldn't be defined, or love in a way that it shouldn't be defined. And one way that I've seen this is. People have this idea that to love is to not just accept the person, but to also accept everything they do and every choice that they make as being good or righteous. Mm-hmm. Um, and and that's not loving. Because if someone is doing something that will bring harm to themselves, and when we talk about the law of God, God's law is love, and every law that he's given us, everything that he's asked of us, including all of the imperatives in the New Testament, are for our own good, right? As a father gives to his children, sin is never good for us in any way, shape, or form. It it might bring a temporary satisfaction or uh, some sort of temporary uh, euphoria, but in the end, all it leads to is pain and suffering, and it's offensive to God. And so if I really love someone, and they're carrying on it in a way that is offensive to God, and they're acting in sin, and and they have no issue with it. What is the most loving thing I can do is to exhort them and and tell them that I, I out of my care and love for them, I want to see them live in a way that is pleasing to God because it's for their own good. And so if I care for them, I'm going to tell them that. What we do, what many people do, is that they flip this. And they say that if you really love someone, you can't correct them and you can't exhort them. You just have to accept everything they do and tolerate it and and accept it as being okay. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> and I and I think with with love as well, a, a way that it's it's misdefined and and distorted is that anything that I find unpleasant or harmful or unaccepting of mm-hmm. me, um, that's, that's unloving. Yeah. And so, uh, which very much piggybacks off of, off of what you were just saying. And, and with, with good, like if God is good, that means the way we define it means is like my life is always going to go well. Yep. 
I'm always going to be positively blessed. I'm going to be kept from any sort of harm, anything that would test me or stretch me. So basically everything in the Bible about suffering and trials and hardships and um, health hazards mm. or whatever, you know, a loving God or a good God, he would never, he would never do any of that mm. towards me if he really loves me. Yeah. And it's like, it's like the childish definition. Like when I take my kids to the store, I mean, I think in many ways in their mind, they think, you know, if, if, if dad is good to me, if dad loves me, <laughs> he will get me all the action figures and Legos that I point yeah. out that I mm. see that I want. Yeah. It's like, no, no, because I love you, I am not getting you these things. Mm. And also because I love your mom and want her to have a house under yeah. her that she can sleep in, I'm not going to buy everything yeah. you ever ask for. Yeah. Well, think about it this way. Like if a, if a children wants, you know, if you're at the store and the ch- child wants to buy candy, right? And they don't understand, they don't have the big picture of the fact that candy is not good for them, right? And, and, yeah, and, 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 yeah. and so you telling them that they can't have candy, um, <laughs> the child perceives it as maybe unloving. And so when we treat love this way and as it references our relationship to God, we're acting like little children. Yeah. And I was thinking, um, just as you started talking, I was thinking about this quote, a fantastic quote by Martin Luther. And he says, if God told me to eat the dung from the streets, <laughs> not only would I eat it, but I would know that it was good for me. And, and, what this is, it's a reflection of what faith is, right? It's, it's taking God at his word and saying, God, you are the father. We are the children. You are infinite. We are finite. We don't know. You do know. And you have promised to be good to your, do good to your people. And so whatever God has called us to, we need to take him at his word and, and fully trust in that yeah. as opposed to uh, trying to redefine things in accordance with our finiteness. Now, do you know anyone who's been told by God to eat dung? I do not. Okay. <laughs> so that's not, that's Martin Luther being Martin Luther, yeah. very extreme to, to make a, a very appropriate point. <laughs> um, you know, I, <clears throat> I think too, like when we, when we speak of God as love, a, a modern way it's distorted that we need to correct is that uh, the idea of if God loves me, which means he accepts me as I am for who I am and he approves of everything that mm. I do. Like, you know, we have this concept of like a lifestyle. I live this lifestyle and God loves me. Therefore, he must approve of every decision I make and every way I've I've chosen to live my life. And the biblical definition of love is that God loves us so much that he does not allow us to remain as we are. Yes, he accepts us as we are with all of our sins, our failures, our shortcomings, all of that. But he loves us too much Mm. to leave us as he finds us. In fact, the love of God and this has been pointed out by many uh, Bible interpreters and theologians, that love of God is a transforming love. It is such a potent and powerful love that when you come in contact with the God who is love, you cannot remain unchanged. Mm -hmm. It will always transform you for the better. In fact, in Ephesians 1, when uh, Paul talks about the, the love of God, which stretches all the way to eternity past, and will stretch all the way into eternity future. You know, it's an unending love. It's a transforming love because the goal of that love is that he might present us before himself blameless and in holiness. Mm-hmm. So the goal of God's love mm. is, to, is to transform us. And yeah. yet we think the, to be loving means you just accept me as exactly as I am. And it's like, no, no, that's not, it's so much better than that. Yeah. It's transforming. Yeah. And I think this is really what we need to understand when we talk about 
our sanctification as believers, right? That God, he, he, he saved us from sin eternally, but guess what? The good news of the gospel gets better mm-hmm. because it's, it's not just that we are saved eternally from sin. It's that even right now in this life, we can be progressively set free from sin, progressively growing in holiness. And as we defined holiness a few weeks ago, what does that mean? It means to reflect God, yeah. to be more like God in our character than we were yesterday. And, and this is I mean, good news. Any, tor- any, type of tr- any type of real experience of love, even on a human level, is in some sense transforming. Like you think of a, a good marriage. Like I just did a funeral last week for, uh, mm. uh, oh, and she's now a widow. They were married for 53 years, mm. 53 years. And they're not the same people yeah. they were yeah. in year one that they were in year 53 because the, the love that God blessed them with in that marriage helped shape and transform both of them. Mm. I think we'd all agree because our wives have loved us well. We're not the same people we were mm. when we met and got married, and even the first year of marriage, because because a love actually transforms; it makes better that which it loves. Mm-hmm. And, Absolutely, and, and that's why um, you know your God's love is is much better than just accepting me. It's yeah. it's a love that embraces me but transforms me. Absolutely, and I I think just thinking too this marriage concept, and I'm gonna piggyback off that and go to a kind of a different topic here. Uh, when we talk about marriage, because marriage is a reflection of, of Jesus Christ's relationship to his church, right? His relationship to us. And so it's, it's the best and it's such a biblical illustration yeah. for the love of God. And I always think about how a lot of people, when they get married, and this is really a cultural thing in our, in our culture in the United States, that we love this person because of what they give for us. The right? benefits we can it, derive. We yeah. love them because of the way they make us feel. And then what happens when when people change, right? Because people change. When those feelings go away, we have no no longer an obligation to love. And and what that shows is it was never love to begin with. And so A.W. Pink, he talks about the love of God, and he says that the love of God is uninfluenced by the object of the love, mm-hmm. meaning we, God doesn't love us because of anything in us at all whatsoever, period. There's nothing good in us that brings about God's affection. God loves us because that's who he is. Mm. And and we need to understand this. And really what this results is, is worship and glory being given to God. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think it was Martin Luther. We already quoted him earlier, but let's go back to him. He, he said, <laughs> in, in every... Uh, human or, or kind of horizontal level of, of love. We love someone or, or something because we find something lovely in that mm-hmm. object. Absolutely. That, that, that's just how it is. Um, the law of attraction, these, these different things, compatibility, whatnot. But God's love and the love we experience in and through Christ and the gospel is much different because God finds not that which is lovely, yeah. but that which is unlovely. Yeah. And he loves it despite of its unloveliness but he loves it so well, so graciously, so lavishly, that he actually makes us lovely. Mm-hmm. God doesn't love us because we're lovely, but he loves us. Yeah. And because he loves us, he makes us uh, yeah. lovely. I love the, I love the ending. <laughs> Pun intended. <laughs> yeah. I love the ending to the book of Jonah. And it's, it's a lot of people find the ending to be extremely obscure. And we have this scene where this weird thing's going on with this plant growing and, mm-hmm. and Jonah's not repenting yeah. and, and Jonah's sort of just left in his hatred for these people. 
the Assyrians, right? And these were evil, gruesome, nasty people. And Jonah's actually angry over the grace of God. Mm -hmm. And and what does God say? He says, should I not pity Nineveh? Should I not pity? And this God is so compassionate. And it has nothing to do with the Ninevites. They were horrible, Mm -hmm. right? And they brought so much affliction upon God's people. It has nothing to do with them. And then when we get this to come to the New Testament, it's the same picture that God died not only for the unlovely, but actually his enemies, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> it has nothing to do with the object of the love. It has to do with the, the subject that the God of the universe so loves that that is so unworthy of love and undeserving of love yeah. because God is love. Yes. Yeah, that's yeah, that's amazing. Well, let's switch topics or not switch topic, but let's switch to a new question. So with with God's love and with God's goodness, in what sense does God love and is God good to creation generally or people mm-hmm. generally? And then connect with that. In what ways does he particularly love and is particularly good to his people? Yeah. So we have sort of this idea of, of common grace mm. and just one simple thing. God sends the rain to the people that are thirsty, right? God, mm. God allows crops to grow. God um, gives For, us everyone, shade. Yeah. Without to everyone yeah, without distinction, Yeah, without distinction. God provides shade from the sun. Um, God does all of these things. God allows people that are deserving fully of his eternal wrath presently to yet experience comfort and security in this life, although it's flawed and although it falls short. It's temporary. Of, yeah, it's, it's a temporary, temporal blessing. Yeah. Yeah. But yet God still provides this to those that reject him. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's in the Sermon on the Mount mm-hmm. where uh, Jesus grounds the call to believers to love their enemy in the fact that God is good to all. He sends the, the rain on the just and the unjust. Mm-hmm. He causes the sun to rise on the just and the unjust. And so once God is is good to all, and that every earthly benefit that we experience, believer, unbeliever, mm-hmm. we get to see a sunrise and a sunset. We get to you know, experience the, the blessing of the ocean, of friendship, of marriage, of food, of you know, all mm-hmm. of these benefits. That is an example of God's general goodness, the fact that he's yeah. benefiting, being kind to all people. In fact, when people will stand before God and have to give an account, no one will be able to say to God, you haven't been good to me. Absolutely. Because he'll have a million items. Mm. I mean, who knows? I mean, I, we, can't, we can't count them all. But he'll, he'll have a myriad of examples. In fact, no, I was good to you because I gave you this, I gave you this, I gave you this. And in fact, Paul says one of the great sins of mankind in, in Romans 1 is lack of gratitude, yeah. that they did not give thanks yeah. to God. And I think in that moment, they will know fully their guilt. Mm-hmm. Right? People do not they won't be able to deny his exactly. goodness. People will not be taking their first steps into hell, thinking that it's undeserving. Yeah. That, that they will realize fully that they deserved it. And what does that show them about their life on earth, right? That God was so gracious to them. Yeah. And that's why even, even the Bible, Romans, I think it's Romans 2, it says it's the kindness of the Lord that yeah, leads us to repentance. Absolutely. Even the, the examples of his common grace to us, giving us these benefits through his, what he's made, 
uh, even like we're, we're you know in the middle of this pandemic, middle, who knows how, how long we'll go on. But the idea of how advanced modern medicine has become so that we can live uh, such healthy lives, yeah. that the, the, the average age that someone lives has extended so much longer in our day because God has given us the common grace of mm-hmm. modern medicine and technology. Yeah. That will be something that will redound to his glory. And if we don't give him thanks for that, we'll redound to our mm-hmm. condemnation. Yeah. And now what ways is God uniquely, particularly good to his people? What way does he uniquely particularly love his people that he doesn't with all mankind? Well, <laughs> I think that what love is fully, and this is how Christ defines it for us, right? Um, anyone would give their life for the, the friend, for someone mm-hmm. that loves them back, or, or not anyone, but mm-hmm. but even someone who uh, is not a Christian. Loving, or, yeah, yeah. Would, but, but Christ showed what love is, the character of God in that he died for his enemies, for those that are born at enmity with him. And that is the fullness of love revealed in the flesh, in the person of Christ, that he would die, that he would give his life for his enemies. And so this is what we call sort of the the special love that God sets upon his people, Mm -hmm. that is salvation. Yeah. And so, yeah, the difference with all humanity in general mm-hmm. is this idea of common grace. Yeah. But with special grace, with believers, it's his saving grace, his special, his redeeming mm-hmm. love. And I mean, you see in, uh, in Ephesians 5, where it talks about marriage, and it draws that parallel between a, a husband and a, and a wife and Christ and his church. That what is unique to the church is that Christ came to lay down his life for his bride, yeah. to spill his blood, to wash his bride mm-hmm. clean, that he is working right now to uniquely wash his bride with the water of his word to present her spotless and unblemished before himself, and that he's uniquely going to bring his bride to be with him Absolutely. forever in a new heavens, new earth. And that's that's a, a, a benefit, a goodness, and a love that not everyone experiences. Yeah. And let's go back to the, our marriage illustration. Again, biblical illustration here. Uh, do you love your spouse the same way that you love your neighbor? And there's there's a difference there, right? Yeah, there's I mean, a, one a sense, special like the, love yeah. for the spouse. We would say like, okay, I should sacrifice for my wife. Yeah. I should also sacrifice to to care for my mm-hmm. neighbor. But I'm called to especially yeah. sacrifice for my wife. Yeah. That that is my pro- if I am sacrificing for my neighbor. At the expense of yeah. actually sacrificing for my wife, who I, I'm in the special covenant relationship with, then my love is messed up. Absolutely. Uh, something's wrong with it. And so there's a unique sense in which uh, the church, as the bride of Christ, is the recipient of his sacrifice, his self-giving, his laying down his life. For, now, which brings a good question up, in, in what sense, okay, why doesn't God just love everybody? with his saving special grace. Why why do we have to have a category of common graces? Why can't it there will, well, first it all of all, be saving there grace? would be no special grace. There would be no special love. Um because that's that's if if there was no well and also it would violate God's character of his his justice, right? God is not I mean, we talked about this earlier. God is not unloving when he people rightly deserve and experience his wrath. Mm-hmm. It's not that God has been unloving. It's that God is being just and God is just. And so uh, 
when when Christ died to reveal his love, we wouldn't be able to understand that love objectively apart from uh, those that were vessels of wrath and those that were vessels of honorable use. Yeah. And when people bring up the idea of like, I, I couldn't believe that a quote unquote loving God could send an innocent person to, mm. to hell. Mm. And there's, there's two major issues with yeah. that. One, there's no such thing as an innocent exactly. person. Like the Bible is very clear. We are born in sin and we sin. Mm. You know, I, n- I never had a kid send my kids to manipulation school, yeah. to lying school, to selfish school, but they learn some, apparently <laughs> they're yeah. very good at it because they're, they're born with a sin nature and then mm. therefore they sin. And, it, and we're condemned before God because of that. And therefore, there is no one innocent. Yeah. And then the other issue with that question, why would a you know, loving God wouldn't send innocent people to hell, is it, it views every person, not just as if they're innocent, but as, as if they're deserving of God's love, yeah. that God owes it to them mm-hmm. to love them and do all these positive, wonderful yeah. things for them. In reality, the, the great question is not, why doesn't God love yeah. everybody? But why did, he, yeah. why did he choose to set a special love upon anyone? Yeah. No one deserved it. Exactly. That's why I, there's this quote, I, I don't remember who it's from, but he talked about how we often view things so backwards. We often view the fact that like people are trying to get into heaven and God's at the door, like the great bouncer of heaven saying, no, I'm sorry, you can't come in. You can't. Okay, maybe you can. You can't come in. Mm-hmm. As if everyone ought to be and is trying to get into heaven. Yeah. And the reality is, no, they're, they're running the opposite way towards hell. And God in his grace reaches out and saves some in in. For reasons we don't know. He loves because he loves. Yeah. There's no reason why he would have loved us. Yeah. No reason we can find in ourselves. And, and the statement is that if it were not for God's special saving love, hell would be full mm-hmm. and heaven would be empty. Yeah. But as it is, because of God's love, heaven will be bursting at the mm-hmm. seams. And you know, the other thing that I, we have to realize too is, is guess what? Heaven is not the fulfillment of all of your fleshly desires. Heaven is about God. Yes. Heaven is about worshiping God. And if you have no desire to worship God here, what makes you think that you would want to worship God for eternity? Yep. And so in one sense, it's 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 God is just giving people their desires, which is enmity against him. Yeah. I mean, that's true. I mean, the, the reality of heaven is um heaven is a heavenly place because the God who is love, the God who mm. is good, is there. Absolutely. If he were not there, it would not be a heavenly place. Mm. I mean, and that, that's the reality. And, and so the ultimate expression of God's love and goodness is giving us himself. He is the best gift that could ever be given, which is why I love you know, 1 Peter. I think it's 1 Peter 3.18 uh, mentions that Christ died to bring us to God. Yeah. That the ultimate... Uh, Thing that Christ was doing and dying for our sins and everything is re- he was removing every obstacle that separated us from the greatest joy that anyone could ever know, which mm-hmm. is knowing God, yeah. being in fellowship with God. And so heaven is presented not as you know this this wonderful Disneyland free of sin and suffering and everything like that. It's presented as this marvelous place where God is at the center, mm-hmm. and we get to we get to be in His presence. And experience His love eternally. Yes, because God's love is eternal. Just to, yeah, it's, it becomes this this bottomless ocean mm-hmm. that we get to dive into, where there's there's no shore and there's no there's no bottom to yeah. swimming in in the love of God. Now let's <clears throat> let's look at a text here. 
and I don't know how we are for time, but with the goodness of God, and God is good, and he does good, Romans 8.28, we know that God works all things together for good, mm-hmm. for those who love God and are called according to his purpose. So in what, how are we to understand, what does it mean that God works everything together for our good? And how does suffering and trials and things like that relate relate into it? How is God good to us even in and through hard things? We need, we need a paradigm shift in the way we understand our circumstances. And in a way, we need a paradigm shift in a way we understand goodness. And, and what I mean by that is we need to begin to see good, not as we perceive it, but as God perceives it. And, and what is ultimately good for the believer is their sanctification, is their spiritual growth, is that they would look more like Christ. And this goes back to our Luther quote earlier. Luther said, if, if God told me to eat dung, I would do it, and I would know that it was good for me right? Because, because that reflects then a, a way that sees God as good and as all goodness being derived from God. Mm-hmm. And whatever God says to do is for our good. Mm-hmm. Even when we have no clue how to understand that or what that looks like, it's simply a matter of, of understanding that God is good. God is love. And therefore, what God commands of us is for our good. And so I think really it just comes down to a de-emphasis on comfort and security and then a re-emphasis on sanctification, yeah. on spiritual growth. I think that's, that's exactly right. Like when, when the Bible speaks about good as it relates mm. to us, what's good for us, and Romans 8.28 says all yeah. things work together for our good, we need to make sure that we're defining what our good is according to the Bible, not according to the world which we live in. Because yeah. the culture defines our good as the things I want, the the temporary blessings, the uh, trivial things of, of this earthly existence. When God says, ultimately what is good for you is to be conformed into the image of my son, mm-hmm. and ultimately what is good for you is to loosen your grip on the things yeah. of this life and to grasp more fully like the delight of knowing me, which I love the end of, of Psalm 73. Psalm 73 is a whole psalm about where the psalmist wrestles with, I thought God was good. But I doubted it for a while because I looked at everyone around me, the wicked people. Look how they were prospering. Look how they live life easy. They, they seem to die happy. And here I am suffering. Mm. And yet, he goes into the house of the Lord. He sees things from an eternal perspective. He knows now the end of the wicked and the end of the righteous. And he concludes, no, God is truly yeah. good to me. Whom have I in heaven but you? And there's nothing on earth that yeah. I desire besides you. You are the strength of my heart and my portion forever. He realizes, in the end, I get God. And they don't. Therefore, to, to now bring Paul's words into this, this earthly existence is a slight and momentary affliction compared to the eternal weight of glory yeah. that is being prepared yeah. for us. I think one very helpful, just simple and practical way uh, that we can begin to grow in our understanding and have this paradigm shift in our own lives is the way that we pray. And I remember there was, I, I lived with a guy for a while um, and he had mentored me and, and he would often pray and he would have these even ifs. And it was, God, even if mm. I, I want first and foremost to glorify you and I want first and foremost to reflect you. And so whatever it is that is causing you anxiety or giving you fear, whatever you're afraid of losing, God, even if you take this from me, you are still good. 
And, and, and guess if that's what it takes, mm. if it takes me suffering, if it takes me losing this, then God do it. If that means that I can look more like you and bring you glory, mm. because that is what matters most. Mm. No, that's good. That's good. And now, uh, as we, as we draw this to a close here, how should knowing the love of God, the goodness of God, how should that humble us? How should it transform us? What are, what are some applications we can draw from this? Well, I think understanding that the object of God's love does not cause the love, mm -hmm. right? That, that us being the objects of God's love has nothing to do with us. It ought to give us a great sense of humility and then worship. Yes. Humility and worship. Those are two very natural responses mm -hmm. to understanding the love of God, that we see ourselves for what we are, not deserving of love, as being uh, worthless, as apart from God, we are worthless, we are at enmity with Him, we are uh, by inclination and in our thought, words, and deeds, every uh, part of our flesh is sinful and rebellious, but God yet chose to love. And then the response then to that is worship, that we give the glory to God and we praise Him, and that we want to do things the way that He has called us to do them. Yeah, yeah. I think of, I think it's Ephesians five where he, Paul exhorts the church, love one another as God in Christ mm -hmm. has loved you. That the the love of Christ to us is is both the motivation and the model for our love to one another, mm -hmm. and therefore you know within the church community. We should not look at our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ and and see okay which ones deserve my love or who, who <laughs> can I most yeah. you know who do I who hasn't bothered me the who's bothered me the least and who's you know been kind to me the most and therefore I'll love them but it's no no it is a non meritorious unconditional mm -hmm. don't expect reciprocation type of love that we ought to display I mean that's how that's how Christ has loved us he sacrificed he gave of himself. Not because we met the conditions, but because we had failed to meet yeah. them. We were we were unlovely, uh, and therefore our the type of Christian love we should seek to display is one that is, you know, is, is free of conditions, is free of needing to be reciprocated or yeah. merited or all these type of things. And and just as you're a big Piper guy, so in this concept of Christian hedonism, right? Piper is a big me guy. <laughs> that that what that what this actually brings about, and sort of this selfless, it is so freeing, and and it brings so much joy, because when we do things for other people, mm -hmm. and when we serve, we're not looking for a pat on the back. We're not looking to receive something in return. Because guess what? You're going to get let down over and over and over again because people are sinful. Yeah. You will always be let down. But if, if you're not doing it for those things and you're doing it because you know that it glorifies God and you know that it reflects his love, then that's where the joy comes in. Yes. This sort of uh, supernatural joy that we get in serving Christ that is not dependent on people's response. Yes. Gladly making others glad in God. I yeah. remember it's Piper's uh, yeah. big statement. Well, that uh, wraps it up for another episode of Presbyterians in Quarantine Drinking Coffee. And Yes, we are still in quarantine in some ways, especially here in Florida. So we will keep producing these episodes, and we hope they continue to benefit you and help you grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. So we'll see you next time. This episode of Presbyterians in Quarantine Drinking Coffee is now over. 
You may now exit the quarantine zone.